Welcome to Challenging Christianity. I'm your host, Rebecca Kinnestrand. Do you consider yourself spiritual but non-religious? Agnostic. Or maybe you grew up in a church but don't believe what you were taught there anymore. This podcast exists in that space between all-in or all-out religion. Join us in asking questions that challenge the notions of Christianity. Welcome to Challenging Christianity. It's Rebecca Kinnestrand, Daniel Dadashi, and Pastor Katie mccollum Soxy are with us. Hello, everyone. Hello. Thanks for listening. I can't tell you how grateful we are to have you as listeners. Please write to us, Challenging Christianity at podcast at gmail.com. Perfect. Um, We love to have you as listeners. We'd like to hear from you, see what you're thinking out there. It's been a while. We're back at we're back at the church. In a room together, like in, with other humans. In person. It's fabulous. <laughs> it's so great. I hope that the... I thank you for your patience, because our sound quality has been pretty spotty. It has been rough going. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a very, very basic audio engineer. Way back in the day, I used to make internet advertising, like before broadband happened, because I was part of the gaming community, and... I have this minuscule amount of, you know, ability to do something with these sound, these sound scripts. So I appreciate everyone's patience with the sound. This one hopefully will be much better. Fingers crossed. Yeah, we were all just doing the best we could. Yeah, exactly. Swimming, paddling hard. Like the duck, right? You know, (laughs) paddling hard under the water. Oh, so I, I like seeing pictures of people's Zoom setups, the part you could see from the camera and then the part that's just off camera. <laughs> it, it, oh, there's always a stark difference, like piles of nonsense just <laughs> off camera. I filmed several videos for online worship and then looked at them and realized, <laughs> oh, there's a giant pile of laundry or like coats <laughs> or my dog. Maybe makes, I'll film that again. <laughs> makes you relatable. That's what I always say. Authentic. Authentic is the new way. thing, right? <laughs> Everything just. Yes. Is- I don't want to be relatable. I want to be unattainable. So Un- to the <laughs> point of unrelatability. <laughs> You're going to be Beyonce. <laughs> yeah, that's who I need for I don't know if I can pull that off, guys. Oh, no. Yeah, no. We're authentic. If anything, we're pretty authentic pretty sitting here yeah. <laughs> on yeah. our stools. Yeah. Anyway, what were we going to talk about today? Oh, we had the topic of um, this church, Holy Spirit Lutheran Church in Kirkland. This church has recently made a new call for a pastor because uh, Pastor Mike has retired. He'll be around and back uh, next year, and I want to keep him on the podcast. Um, But uh, he's taking a bit of time away for that. And so it got us into the topic of thinking of what what is a church leader? What makes you authentic? in the idea of you can now tell me what you think and you and I will accept or I will think about what you're saying about scriptures and this applies to any religion any and all and I know I've talked before my spiritual journey took me on into all kinds of different spaces and but usually in these spaces there's some oh leader or person who's written about it the most or, um, you know, some, somebody who has been deemed the creator or essence of that particular theology. What makes them like that? Do you just need to write a book? It is kind of a crazy idea. Really. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't want to be too like, 
Wizard of Oz behind the scenes here, but I, I do sometimes get up in the pulpit and, and I just take a moment <laughs> to think, why do you all care? Why are you I, listening to me? Like, it's kind of a terrifying thing. Um, and I even, I even sometimes laugh about, so as in the Lutheran tradition and other traditions, that to be a pastor, you have to get a master's degree. And the title of the master's degree is that you have a master's of divinity, which is ridiculous. Right, I know. I master's divinity. It uh, makes it sound like you're divine. Yeah. I, w- I want a master's of divinity just for the title, honest no to God. I know. <laughs> so, I mean, there's some, I think there's some strange arrogance to this process that we should maybe just be honest about. But mm-hmm. the thing that occurred to me, I had a really interesting conversation with somebody about the process of calling this pastor. And in our tradition, we have a, a team of people who gather and they they're, you know, kind of appointed by the congregation. You try to um, represent different constituencies, I guess, right? Like different populations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, age ranges and experiences and ethnicities and all that. And and then it's their job to interview people and bring the candidate to, a con- to the congregation. But I had a really interesting conversation with somebody before we voted on this person. And the person's like, how do I know? that I, You're telling me to vote on somebody that I don't know. And mm-hmm. I said, yeah, that, 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 is a weird, that is a weird deal. Because I think in the end, the only thing that makes the relationship work is trust. And the only way to get there is time. Mm. And, and so there, there, I think any, any spiritual tradition that has leaders, it's just this nice edge balance around um, being someone and just, just being trustworthy over time, mm. but also being given trust before you've really earned it, given the chance to earn it. Mm-hmm. And I, what I told this person is, you know, you're voting on somebody that you are willing to say, I'm willing to give you a chance. Mm. Now, whether you deeply connect to this individual or not, I'm not sure. But do you trust the committee? Do you trust the congregation? Do you trust the process? Um, I'm thankful that in our tradition we do have some form of community um, processing for this because, like, I wouldn't want to just go pick in this chance, oh, in this instance yeah. a colleague by myself because then you just get my agenda and my stuff mm-hmm. and my, you know, this this has to really be a, a group effort. Um, mm-hmm. So it does make you think about, like, and about leadership in general. What kind of leader are we looking for? Um, what kind of leader is trustworthy? What, what do congregations need? They need someone who's comforting, but they also need someone to push and make you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, and I think leadership in general is a big, what kind of leaders do we trust? I mean, that, that's a... Wow. That's a you just big, took it right up there. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, and it's interesting because when I talk to my friends who are not Lutheran or not Christian, they often ask me about what it takes to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. And... It feels like the answer is varied because I've seen lots of people use the title pastor who have don't have a master who are not the divine pastor king. Oh, you can just <laughs> pastorize yourself essentially, you right? You can just be like, I open church X on the corner. Yo, yay be to you. Come and listen to my divine teachings. Yeah. yeah. So is there like, I guess with doctors, there's a Board right, that and that they have to take exams and lawyers. The same, same thing. thing. Mm-hmm. Is there anything with with pastors across denominations? Oh, I don't. No, think so. I mean it's every denomination is different. So, 
you know, the process for becoming a Lutheran pastor is college and then a four-year master's degree, and including a year's worth of, like, practice internship somewhere. Um, and there, you work with uh, groups of people that help you take psychological tests and can, just to make sure that you're, you know, you're basically balanced and healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, you do background checks and all kinds of stuff to make sure you're not, like, not letting predators of any kind into this into this sort of role, mm-hmm. um, but in other traditions, it's very grassroots, and people are kind of charismatic leaders in the community, and they are called out and named the leader, and there's no formal training, um, and sometimes that works out really well, mm-hmm. and and sometimes it does not. So there's a there's a pie, I haven't listened to it yet. Should should I be telling people? Listen yes, to of course. yes, of course. Yes, there is of course. There is one out there now called the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Oh, and so um, you know, and that was a really toxic leadership situation there. Yeah. So again, you, it's it's so it's so different, and and it, it's one place where I, people are rightfully confused about like, well, what does it mean to be a pastor? Because in some cases, people didn't do any kind of training, um, and that doesn't mean they aren't effective. Um, but in other yeah. cases, people have done lots of training, and that doesn't mean they are effective. So, you know, it's, just, it's, it's very it's complicated. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine who was Mormon and um, mm-hmm. was telling me about going to Brigham Young University, and I said, which is a Mormon university, and I, I mentioned, like, oh, I bet Mormon ministers, is that what you call it, go there? Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, no, we don't, we don't have anything like that. We don't have called, ordained leaders. We take turns. We're all priesthood holders. All, all men are priesthood holders, and they kind of rotate, and they have a, a church leader, a, a bishop, who's basically a, a volunteer from the community, and you volunteer mm. for a year or two as your kind of rotation. Um, and I thought it was a really interesting idea of, of leadership style. So it is I feel different. like if to do something like that, your rules would have to be very tight, you know, because... I think if Mormons are known for anything, it's their organization <laughs> skills. So right? Sure That's why it must it would work call. there, but you couldn't be super loosey in your organization or regulation rules about around the religion and just be like, oh, whoever wants to volunteer, because it would swing wildly depending on that person's personality, I would think. I'm sure, I'm not an expert. I'm yeah. sure there's some sort of, of stringent checks and balances. <laughs> uh, um, but I did think it was interesting that there isn't a, an employed right. leader. de facto leader and, and the kind of leadership that bubbles up without a defined leader. Um, well, this reminds me of our conversation, uh, our podcast on cults versus religion. Mm-hmm. So if you are listening, go back and listen to that one. You might hear similar ideas of like what makes... Why is one thing called a cult and another a religion and so on? Spoiler alert, it's the IRS. (laughs) It is a little bit of tax delineation. Um, But going back to the Bible, so Jesus, for example, you know, born in the manger, not terribly high-level leader, becomes known, obviously gets a following. What was that about? Like, how did he arise? Well, it's interesting if you go back even further and think about the type of leaders. Moses. Yeah, right. Like, the type of leaders in the Old Testament that Jesus would have been familiar with as a faithful Jewish man, right? There, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of interesting ups and downs in leadership in the Old Testament, mm. the Hebrew scriptures, and all the way from Moses, who, who is certainly a strong leader but has a lot of issues, too, and 
complains about not, you know, how whiny the people are. And um, my favorite, one of my favorite scenes between God and Moses is when God says to Moses, your people are really driving me nuts, you know. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and Moses needs help sometimes, and so his brother helps him, right? And then you have the prophets who are leaders, but who almost always say no to the initial invitation to do the work that they're called to do. You have the people of Israel who spend some time trying to figure out how to be different. They're called to be not like everybody else. And so they try kind of this form of leadership, this charismatic judges that mm. just arise or just kind of arise from the people. There's not like a voting process or anything, you know, the way we would, there's not a term. They're just, they just become leaders for a while. And then when it seems their time is done, someone else is, arises. And that honestly descends into like complete and total chaos. As I predicted. Yeah. (laughs) People ask for a king. We'd like to have a king because that's nice and orderly and it's clear. Yes. And God says, well, just remember with the nice orderly stuff comes a person who can rule your life in every possible way. Be careful what you wish for. Mm -hmm. But eventually they say, no, 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 that's really what we want. And Mm -hmm. then they have a mixture of some good kings and some really awful kings. Right. Do you see this whole complex there are some women who are leaders in, in, the, in the Hebrew scriptures often in ways that are not um, uh, institutionalized you know the way but mm. but it's complicated so then you get Jesus who is not a, he's not the kind of king people maybe 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 people expected the Messiah to be not the natural um, born leader yeah per se. yeah um, he does build a lot of trust with kind of people who are at the bottom of most lists. And by the time he's done with his public ministry, he looks to all intents and purposes, like a total leadership failure. Like no one's left. He only got 12 people to follow in the first place <laughs> and they're all gone. And like the only people left are a handful of women. So, you know, I think that this, this idea that is in getting, getting lots of traction in, in the corporate world too, the idea of a servant leader, yes. you know, is this, this idea that you don't have to make yourself the center of attention to be an effective leader. You don't have to be the you know, shining star um, at the top telling everybody what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, being the boss does not actually involve bossing people around. Um, but, you know, Jesus is even, I think, even more radical than that. I mean, his form of leadership is really just complete solidarity. Huh. Well, you say, though, that, yes, the disciples were scattered and the women were left, but his message had been spread. Yes. And that's what right. carried it, right? Yeah. So what happens after Jesus is uh, crucified, rises, so on? What the early church, can you walk us through what was happening in the early church and why this type of leadership worked for that? Well, I think it it worked well when the church was smaller, when it was... Mm not politically powerful when people gathered in homes and they, the book of Acts tells us that the people really behaved in these strikingly um, communal ways. They gave up their stuff. They, hmm. they sold property and shared the money together. They made sure that people who were at the edges, like widows or orphans were taken care of. And they were, they were known for being kind of countercultural people. Hmm. Um, there was, you know, there was definitely some, at least some persecution of some of that. Um, but it changes a lot when the church becomes politically powerful and um, 
Because that many con- people will identify that with Constantine. Constantine, yeah. yes. Uh-huh. So whether some of that's apocryphal or not, eventually the church and politics become, you know, a kind of toxic. Intertwined. <laughs> yeah. And that's when all of this beautiful solidarity and community stuff gets often, you know, twisted. I mean, I think it's mm. really important for churches to tell the truth that, you know, for our our theology and our legacy of this amazing, you know, God among us, we have not done very well at leading in, in Jesus' ways. You know, mm. we've, we have sold our souls for, for power and influence. Mm. Um, Do you feel, though, that individual churches are really, it feels to me like the small individual churches are still keeping that alive and the Lutheran outreach or whatever denomination is out there that's doing work in the community are the ones really keeping that alive. Um, I, I more and more, I feel like too many people are too many people. It's just, it's almost like society works really well up until a point. I don't know if that's a thousand people or wherever it is. There's probably some site. Somebody's made the decision that 1500 people is a good group number for people, but you get beyond that. You get beyond the borders of a society like that. And it just feels like the conflicts just escalate. In some ways, I think our, our conflicts seem more insurmountable when you don't know the person and you don't know anyone who knows the person. The, the kind of unique thing mm. in the church is that a church like ours that's, you know, about a thousand members or around, I might not know everyone, but everyone, I know someone who knows everyone. And so they seem more human to me. I, I want to work with them the same way they want to work with me. It feels achievable to come to a, so an agreement. When I was out and about kind of taste testing different religions and people have just written books and sort of have become these de facto spiritual leaders. Oprah's a little bit of a de facto spiritual leader for a lot of people because she doesn't claim that, but she does teach a lot of that. And, you know, if you're out there looking, if you're out there saying, I'm not sure, I don't know, I'm going to look around Sure. Does it sit well with you? Is it a gut check? What if your gut is all messed up? <laughs> yeah. And you don't know if what you're, you should be, be believing that. Yeah, I think, I think it's important to ask yourself, what do you, what do you expect of a church community, including the leader? Um, it doesn't mean you have to have like your doctrine all lined up. You might not know what you think. But, you know, what are you looking for? Yeah. Um, what do you need? And, and sometimes you can't, you know, sometimes we need things that aren't going to be found in a healthy way in a church community. Maybe we right. need therapy or, or um, you know, antidepressant medications or something, right, too, alongside it. But um, but asking yourself what, what you're really looking for. I think, you know, give, giving people, I always tell people when they join the congregation, you know, don't. Don't expect us to be perfect. We will totally make mistakes. <laughs> well, I was um, going to say, just, yeah. Yeah, that's part of it. And the we mistakes. will be better. Um, ideally, we learn from that, mm-hmm. and then we're better on the other side of it. But we do have to be patient with each other, I think, to stick around. Um, because there's, you know, a lot of what religious traditions experience in the United States, I think, is, you know, we're, we're mostly taught in this country to be consumers. 
Mm-hmm. And so we walk into a situation and our first question is, well, what, what am I going to get out of this? Like, yeah, you know, what are you selling? Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. not all bad. That's, that's not all bad. Um, but if it's the main thing or the only thing, then you're never going to find a church community huh. or a mosque or a synagogue or, or whatever, anything. That, because at some point, you're going to bump into other messy humans. Or I'm always leery of people who, if they are like, I have the answer, sure. run right. far away yeah. from so, that. So there you go, right? Like one of your values is I want to be able to ask questions. I want my questions to be honored. Mm-hmm. And even if they're not answered, I want to be able to ask them and know that I can ask them. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to say to the leader, I don't agree with you. And have the leader not freak out about that. Mm-hmm. So I think... Things like that, identifying, like, what's going to be life-giving and healthy for me. Um, and then, you know, do some do some research, too, that on people and places and what do they actually do. Mm. Um, you know, there, there are interesting resources out there now um, for um, a lot of them are developed around what congregations say around welcoming LGBTQIA folks. Um, because lo- most congregations will say, everyone's welcome. Everyone's welcome. Right? Yeah. But then, like, yeah, but how does that actually play out? So there's a organization, and I, I can't remember it's called, like, Clear Choice? Church, churchclarity.org. Churchclarity.org. And they, their whole purpose is to ask specific questions of churches. So they don't just say, like, you know, or do you welcome LGBTQ folks? They say, like, how many LGBTQ folks are on your staff? How often mm. do women preach from the pulpit? Mm. Um, who is on your council, right? Um, would you give communion to or baptize someone who is gay? Um, so, because mm. they, they want to know, it's it's easy to say everyone's welcome, mm-hmm. but that's different from saying, and we love and affirm you as you are. Right, as opposed to you're welcome and you'll learn better sooner yes, or later. there are places where mm-hmm. you, when you press into that welcome, mm-hmm. it's you're welcome to come in, but you can't actively participate as you are. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And so there are resources out there to like really dig into what communities say hmm. and then what they do. Yeah. And I think coming up with a list of questions or things that are really important to you that you want to ask or find out about, about that organization, whether it's women in leadership. And if there isn't a, a woman pastor asking, have you ever called a woman pastor? Do you have women on your church council? Do you have women in other leadership roles? Mm-hmm. Um, if that's an important issue to me, to you, I, um, one of the things I always look for is people who are willing to say when they make mistakes, yeah, oh, yeah. owning mistakes mm-hmm. to me is, um, a big deal. And so I like to ask, um, where's a part, where's some, somewhere where you went wrong, where's a mistake that you made and how mm. was it corrected? That's something that tells me a lot about a person or an organization. In some ways, an organization is just a big reflection of the kind of people you like. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I asked the question because um, two times this summer, I don't get to hear or see much from my listeners, but there's one person um, who I got to know, and he grew up in a pretty small town, and he came out as gay when he was 16 and was really ostracized. And had a really, really difficult time. And he had been from a certain age to about that time in a church group and lost everybody. And so it was super painful. And he has been on the brink of kind of giving it all up. And actually, he was really inspired by listening to us and and the podcast. And so just to know that the listeners out there, that you're not alone 
and a lot of people are thinking the same way you are, and there is a there's a path where you don't have to throw baby out with bathwater, you know, um, as far as theology and belief, and you can find a group of people who are like minded. And please write into us if you're you know in in that situation. And then um, I was on a rafting trip this past summer, and there was this kid who was 19, and he is deep. He was reading Anne Rand, and he asked me what I thought about it. I was like, you don't want to know because I don't really <laughs> agree with Anne Rand, but um, that's fine. You know, we had a conversation, and then he was like, he was going to switch and read Karl Marx next, right? He's right in that deep search phase. And he happened to be on my boat one day, and you're, you're rafting for, you know, four hours at a stretch or something. And I started calling it the philosopher because he would ask me a question. Awesome. And then I was like, you don't know who you got. <laughs> and I just would go, it's like you with Bible stories. That's I'm like, right. just wait, I'm going to talk to you so long. You know, like asking things like, what are thoughts? What do you think thoughts are? Think about that 19-year-old age, that age when you're, you've moved out of your house and you're trying to figure out who you are outside of your family unit. And isn't, wouldn't that be great if everyone who was looking for a spiritual path was that open about what their questions were? We're just like actively asking all the time. Oh. Like, but what, what about this? What about that? Yeah. I think so often people feel self-conscious walking into churches or places of worship. Like you're going to really offend the pastor. Like if you ask a question, they might be, you accidentally swear they might be really offended if you mm-hmm. ask a question it could insult them that you're going to look stupid or that you're going to look like you're not oh my god pastor enough. mike was so intimidating I, <laughs> well he still is actually to me <laughs> he's so intimidating because um definitely i felt like a lot of my questions is like i you know am i pushing the boundary here you know when i was first getting to know him and so on um, obviously finding that he's fully, you know, open to all of that. Yeah, this guy was great. And I always tread very lightly. I first talk about all the other things. I talk about everything from tarot reading to Marxist theory to all dance around. And then I'll say, well, you know, Jesus said that, you know, and I'll just throw in like a Jesus quote, because most people are on board with what Jesus Jesus said. Okay, right. he's kind of a cool guy, right? Maybe they think that. Anyway, and so I tiptoe into the idea that a lot of the stuff that you're talking about is actually Christian theology. And that is kind of the piece that I think is so um, difficult to get through this noise level like you were talking about of the noise level of what Christianity is in America today to say you know at the heart of it Jesus was communal and believed in this and that and the commandments weren't commandments they were statements and this is why and on and on and you can kind of run down this slowly I build a case around it and he would divert off and I go there, but then I'm like pulling him back. I'm not trying to evangelize. I just see that this philosophy, it feels very distorted and I don't know how to get it back. And I don't know if it's possible to rein it in at this point or if Christianity just needs to morph and become called something different, honestly, in the future. It is, there, is, there, are, there are historians who say that the church, the big you know, Christian church, goes through a massive upheaval about every 500 years. Wow. And we are at the roughly 500-year mark past the Reformation, which was the last big, like, upheaval. Oh. Um, 
in the European church. I mean, I think so we should interesting. be clear this is kind of Yes, right. European church, yes. Um, and there was, kind of a, there was kind of a pandemic around then, too, right? Like the Black Plague. Interesting. Um, so, and, you know, every time, I mean, at, at the heart of Christianity is the story of that death. The death of one thing is not the end of everything. And so I do think sometimes as Christians we need to be willing to let things die. Um, mm-hmm. in order for something new to be born. And I wonder if that's what's partly happening now. Mm-hmm. And it might be happening in part because we've had failures of leadership in the church, but I, I think it's also happening because we've had this model of kind of Christendom in the Northern Hemisphere anyway for mm-hmm. a long time. And it, it's, I think there's so much possibility when you step out of that. Um, I know there are people who really mourn a lot of the cultural protections that Christianity once had in this country, you know, all my kid plays has to play soccer on Sunday now and you know, there's no like there's no yeah. sacred, you know. But right. that that came with a with a significant price too. And um, we can see the rise of, of this kind of Christian nationalism that's that's this toxic mm. mix of of extreme patriotism, patriotism yes. beyond just patriotism. Not, right? It's nationalism. Yeah, it isn't patriotism nationalism. at all. Yeah. And, and we have to get... And racism, to yes, be quite exactly. white supremacy. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. And we've got, to, we've got to let that die. Like, we've got to kill it. Right? <laughs> we've got to I mean, kill it. Because mm-hmm. it, is, it is not the gospel. Right. And so, how do we... And this is just a question that I think we have to live with. I don't have the answer to it. How do we as, as Christian people figure out what needs to die and how to walk away from it mm. versus what, what it is that we need to preserve? And I'm thinking about this literally today because the gospel I have to get ready to preach on for this coming Sunday is about Jesus saying, if your hand is a stumbling block, cut it off. If your Oof. foot is a stumbling block, cut it off. Which I would just like to say is the one at least time that even the most literal of biblical readers is like, but that's not literal. But that's not literal. Right? <laughs> There's the, like, the end of biblical literalism for everyone. <laughs> but that's a metaphor. Um, we're not sh- but, I mean, we're not, I, but not the feet of the clumsy among us. <laughs> no, man, I would have no limbs. Like but, you know, the point is, like, we, we don't have to see these massive cultural shifts as a source of fear. We yeah. could also see them as a, as a huge possibility there seems to be somebody who kind of a leader who rises you know who is that leader who rises who is the debater and says no this is the stake in the ground and you almost um you know won't acquiesce will will point and say that's not the gospel that's not correct or whatever it is that needs to happen i don't know how this revolution will happen but it doesn't seem like it'll be meek um, I think it'll play out in the media. You know, the, the mouthpiece right now is the media. And uh, who, how do you trust that as well? There's trust issues, as we know, <laughs> in the society right now. Yeah. And yet, in the meantime, there is real, real things, that real work that churches and, and people mm. of faith across interreligious lines can be doing together. But it's not going to be noisy, you know, um, mm. but how do we, how do we figure out how to house people who are pretty soon going to be evicted because the right. you know, protections from COVID are going to end and, and you know, how, refugees. Do we, how do we do the like slow, tedious, 
policy work of changing immigration in this country. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we how do we try to make people's everyday lives better? Um, you know, Jesus did not spend a lot of time talking to people about where they were going to go after they died. He spent a lot of time trying to make the lives they were living better. Love it. And that mm-hmm. doesn't mean, I mean, we, we say as Christians, like if we, if our hope was only for this life, then we would be foolish. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that we don't care with every ounce of our being about the lives we live. And so, you know, mm. you got to do like, I mean, that's a long, that's a long list, right? Like mm-hmm. radically re-envision Christianity and also yes. try to feed people who are hungry. Can you do all that on a Wednesday at 11? No, you cannot. But can you do one thing? Then do the one thing. And then tomorrow get up and do one other thing. Uh I mean, I just don't, you know, I don't know either what any kind of revolution is going to look like. But I think we usually only recognize it on the other side of it. You're right. We only recognize I mean, did anybody, when Martin Luther did his thing, think that that was going to be the Reformation? No. You know, another thing that I've been reading about recently is, is, um, Revolutions aren't welcome when they come. No. So when you look at, you can look at uh, like Gallup polls of people who, that were taken during the time of Martin Luther King Jr.'s leadership of civil rights and, and many others too, and radically people disapproved of what he was doing. It was like 70 plus percent of Americans disapproved of Martin Luther King Jr., including mm. the I Have a Dream speech and the March on Washington and the bus boycotts and all that kind of stuff. And now we look back and think like, oh, what, man, an, amazing what an amazing leader. leader. Mm-hmm. Um, but people did not think that at the time. Um, so we also have to, you know, like you were saying, Rebecca, like find the things that we believe are right and do them. Um, and, and if we get to tell that story publicly, great. But if it's unpopular, mm. I mean, again, at the end, Jesus had three maybe women who were like, you know, it what looked like the end. Yeah. Right. And then the whole story of Christianity is that that's not the end. Oh, well, we did do another podcast on the apocalypse, and that was the end, yeah. the end. Oh, I love that one. <laughs> that yeah. was a good one. Go listen to that, folks, too. Anyway, yeah, well, we can end there. Um, you know, there's always more to talk about, but thank you so much for joining us, Pastor Katie. And uh, it's great to be back in person. Let us know what you think, people. Um, thank you so much for listening. It was great to, great to be here.